Heavenly Father, that is the prayer of our hearts and our soul, that we know that all things belong to you. And Father, our words are feeble, and yet it's all that we have to share with you how much we love and appreciate and worship and adore you. Father, we are your creatures here below, but Father, it is the cry of our hearts to bring honor and glory and renown to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, I asked Rusty to, to do that song. Normally, we do scripture reading, and then we go into the sermon. But I told Rusty that, like, like especially with this morning's message, like, we needed the doxology. And the doxology is so beautiful because it's, it's our prayer, and it's a reminder that all that we have and everything that we are is because of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. And so this morning, our sermon scripture, our title is Trust, How Giving Increases Your Faith. And about 11 weeks ago, 13, 14 weeks ago, whenever it was that I sat down and I started working on all of these topics that I wanted to address during this series on discipleship, when I got to this part about giving, I knew that what I wanted to share with you, and and in preaching class, they tell us that you have to have a silver bullet, like you have to have that one thing that you want your congregation to take away with you with them. And if you don't know what it is, they're not going to know what it is. So there's always that point that we want to get across from the scripture. And so the point that 11 weeks ago I decided I wanted you to know was that I think you should all tithe 10% and then give 3 to 4% to church budget. That was my point 11 weeks ago. That's a little bit of a joke. <laughs> it's okay, you can laugh. All right, when we talk about discipleship, when we talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a follower of God, oftentimes what we talk about is that when you give, we want you to give your tithes and we want you to give your offerings because it's important for us to give because it increases our dependency and our trust and our faith in God because when we give, some, some people who give 10% or 13 or 14% of your monthly paycheck, you actually know that that's a pretty big chunk. And the less money that you make, it feels even bigger, I think, because I've never made a lot of money, but what little we make oftentimes feels like it's a lot of money. Oh, that 10%, that can go towards paying bills, that can go towards our vacation fund, that can go towards a hundred other things. But as I've been journeying myself through this sermon series, and as I've continued to really study every week and really develop this, what I realize is this, the majority of you already know that we are invited and called to give our tithes and to give offering, right? The tithe goes to the conference and it pays for pastors and missionaries and all sorts of other things. And a lot of the times, some of that money comes back. And our offering that you give to the local church budget, that goes to support and fund the ministries of this church. And so the majority of you, as I look around, you probably know that. And for those of you who didn't, that's the quick and easy explanation of tithes and offerings. But I realized that if that was the point that I wanted you to take away, then I would have failed at leading you through the teaching and the sermon this morning. Because what ends up happening is I can tell you to give and you can do it, but if you're not doing it out of a desire and a joyful heart, then you're really just doing it to fulfill a checklist on what you think God wants from you. And what we realize is that when we do things because we think God wants us to do it, but we're not doing it out of a relationship of love, out of a desire to bring honor and glory to God, then what ends up happening is it becomes this heaviness within us 
And then it becomes this thing that we really are beginning to drudge and hate to do. And ultimately what that does is instead of bringing us closer to God, when you do things that, you, that are heavy, when you do things that are difficult in relationships, instead of it bringing you closer together, a lot of the times it pulls us further apart. And so this morning, instead of just telling you what to do, I want to lead you through a deeper understanding of why we do, why we give, and what it means for each one of us. And so to do that, I want to begin by telling you a story. When Kara and I first got married and she moved into my house, I realized that I had told her, my house is your house, it's our house now, and um, you can do whatever you want with it, except you can't touch my office off limits. Like, you, can't, you can go in there and hang out, but like, it has to stay decorated. There was no decorations, by the way. My walls were like all bare. I had like one painting in my whole place, right? But like, because I'm a minimalist and I don't like stuff. And so I realized, I said, you can do anything you want, everywhere you want. I don't care. It doesn't matter. But in my office, can you just, you know, leave that alone? And what I realized is I struggled. Some of you know me. I struggled because I couldn't relinquish the control that I'd had for the several years before we got married about how, where things went, how things went, how everything was supposed to be. I was having a really difficult time relinquishing my capacity and my agency to say, no, this goes here always. But all of a sudden, someone else was coming into my life, and she said, that was really cool when you were single, but now that we have made a home together, maybe it's better over here. And what I realized is that I was, I was holding on so tight. And even though, even though I verbally said to her, this is your home, this is our home, you can do whatever you want with it, a lot of the times I was struggling because in my mind, this was still mine. This was still my place. I paid the rent all these years. You know, I've, I purchased everything in there. This is my place. And, and, and I had a hard time relinquishing that because I just wanted to keep holding on. Fast forward a couple of years, and now the office that once was my office is no longer an office, but it's a baby's nursery. And I've struggled a little bit, not as much, but even just relinquishing that last little bit of agency that we have. And see what happens for us oftentimes is we have this tendency to say, certain things are mine. You don't get to have any of it. You don't get to touch it. You don't get to threaten it. You get what's yours. I'll keep what's mine. And we'll just go our own ways. And that's what happens a lot of times with our relationships with God. We often say, this much is mine. You can give to others, God, but mine is mine. I work hard. I get up every morning. I go to work. I sit in traffic. I have to deal with my coworker that annoys me. I have to deal with a difficult boss. I have to do all this. And so this little bit of paycheck that we get every couple of weeks, like this is mine, and I get to decide because I earned it. And I know we've felt that way. But I want us to take a few steps back and realize that even all of that stuff that we've said is ours really belongs to someone else. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open. I'm going to read from the Red Bible, Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. So it's page 392 in our Red Bibles. Verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For God founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. 
You know, it's interesting, even though we think ours is ours, well, the reality and what Scripture teaches us is that the whole earth is the Lord. How much of the earth is the Lord's? All of it and, and everything in it and all who live in it. For God founded, the, for it founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters, which is just a biblical and poetic way of saying that God created all things, God put everything into existence, and it all still belongs to God because as Acts chapter 17 tells us, it is in God in whom we live and move and have our being. The whole earth is God's, and in God, because of God as the life giver, you move, you breathe, and your existence is rooted in the fact that this God gives you life and this God sustains you. The whole earth, you belong to God. This church belongs to God. Your finances belongs to God. Your resources, your time, your relationships, like everything belongs to God because without God, and it's not that God is taking this away from you, but without God, you cease to exist. Without the divine maker who makes each and every one of us, without him, we cease to exist and then everything ceases to exist And the psalmist, David, knows that the whole earth is the Lord's, and it is in the God who created all things in whom you live and breathe and move and have your being. So if you switch to Genesis chapter 1, like this first few moments, I just want to go over a couple of Bible verses, and then we're going to spend a few moments on this one passage in the New Testament. Genesis chapter 1, page 1, it says, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that comes on the ground. Verse 28 again, rule over. This Bible translation, I'm not the most fond of. My Bible translation says, have dominion and subdue. Which is, and remember, in the, when Genesis chapter 1, there was no sin. So to have dominion over something, the biblical understanding is not that you dominate it and subjugate it for your own purposes, but that you steward the earth and what God has created because it belongs to God. God creates humanity and we are to be stewards. If God is the owner, then we are to be good and faithful managers and stewards of what God has placed on us. So for Adam and Eve at the very beginning when they didn't really have jobs that brought them income or anything like that, what God gives them was this garden and this earth and God says, listen, steward this for me responsibly, care for it, take care of the animals, take care of the ground, right? Adam was supposed to till the ground and all of that. And so what we learn from the very beginning of the Bible is that God owns everything and it all belongs to God and God is inviting every one of us to steward everything in our lives. Let me give you an example to give you kind of some black and white concrete. When I was a kid, back when kids were allowed to go outside further than their driveway, there was a corner store and it was a little corner market and it was literally about one block and a half away, really close. And so oftentimes, if we ran out of milk or bread or, I don't know, whatever the kinds of things that you run out at home, my parents would often say, here's five bucks, here's ten dollars, I want you to go to the corner market and I want you to get this. 
So what would I do? A good kid that I was, I didn't want to get in trouble, so I don't know. I would go, buy the item, put the money in my pocket, come home, and then what was the first thing I'd do when I came home? I gave my mom the stuff, and then what else? You give her back the money because the money is hers. She was just asking me to steward what already belonged to her. So when you think of your life, and and again, this isn't just about money, but when you think about your life, your time, your resources, your relationships, your children, your family, your work, your body, and your money, if it all belongs to God, then the life that you live, God is simply asking you to steward it responsibly. Everything in your domain, be a steward of it. Because ultimately it all belongs to God. And what we have, James chapter 1 verse 17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, from God, coming down from the Father of lights. It says everything you have from the beginning of Genesis, if you don't like that Bible verse, we can fast forward to the end of the Bible, James. And in James, it tells us, this, James is the brother of Jesus, okay? So like the source. Like, like James, like, can I just, can I make a quick aside? Like, you know how they say things like a prophet is never, well, like is, uh, a prophet is never recognized as his own town. So like, oftentimes in your own families, like you can have this world-renowned person in your family, but you're like, oh, I know him. Like, I've, I grew up with him. He's not that big of a deal. But I think, right, we do that, right? We try to downplay that. But think about this. James, the half-brother of Jesus, actually will go on to say, like, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, yes, he's my half-brother, and maybe that doesn't make sense. But Jesus was born of a virgin, and Jesus is the Son of God. He takes away the sin of the earth. Like, so James, who could have really just said, like, oh, I'm not going to get mixed up with my brother, he actually exalts Jesus, so like when James talks, it's like, oh, like this guy had firsthand access to Jesus. Like, and like, so if James believes it of his brother, then maybe we should believe it as well. And so James says, listen, every good gift that you have, everything that you, that you have at your disposal, even if it doesn't feel like a lot, everything that you have is a good and perfect gift from above. So yes, maybe you wake up early in the morning and go to work and drive through all that traffic and have to put up with Southern California freeways. And yes, you went to school for many, many years so that you could be prepared to do the thing that which you do now. And yes, you have to put up with students and faculty and bosses and coworkers. Yes, you have to do all that stuff. Yes. But who gives you the ability to do all that? And it goes back to the reality that all the earth is God's. We belong to God. Our existence belongs to God. And everything that we have, even the gifts that we have in order to be able to do the jobs that we have are gifts and talents given to you by God so that you can live into that life. And I know some of us may say, well, what does that mean? Like, I don't get to buy what I want or I don't get to use my finances the way I want or I have to, like, do Bible study every minute of every day. And the reality is, like, no, of course you can do what you need to. And in a few moments, we're going to look at a story that will really share with us like what it means to be a true steward of God's things. So stewardship is this. It's managing God's blessings, God's way, for God's glory and renown. Let me say that one more time. Stewardship is managing God's blessings, God's way, for God's glory 
because he owns all of it. And we, you are invited to be a steward and a manager of God's goodness. But in a, we live in a world where we don't do that very well. We live in a country where we don't do that very well. And so I had this kind of epiphany last night as I was thinking over the sermon. It was right, you know, I'm just, I like to spend Friday nights just really marinating on the text a little bit more. And because there's always something that comes up last minute. And so I just was thinking about this. And I had this image in my mind. How many of you have ever seen a piñata? Yeah, of course, right? If you don't know what a piñata is, it's this cardboard thing that usually has like some animal or character or something. And it looks really awesome. And it's filled with candy. And little kids violently hit it to cut a hole into it. (laughs) So that candy can come out. Like, here's the thing. I love piñatas. But then I'm just like, what are we teaching our children, right? Like, if you hit it hard enough... But here's this analogy that, that just came to me. You know, a lot of times we see the world as this big piñata where the blessings are only in limited amount and they're inside this piñata. And so we do everything that we can to be the one that busts through that piñata so that when the blessings pour out, we go and then we hoard it. Have you ever seen kids? That have, have you, do, you, do you remember being a kid with a piñata? What do you do? Like as soon as that first hole comes and it starts coming out, you run towards it and then you like put your legs in a certain way and you like try like a little like chipmunk and you try to like get as much of the candy there and then you protect it because you don't want anyone to do it. I think that's what we do as adults in different ways. I think there's that same kind of mentality that there's only so much blessing to go around. So we have to make sure we get ours while the getting's good because if we don't, someone else is going to get it and then there won't be enough for me. But the scriptures teach us clearly that every good, perfect gift comes from the Heavenly Father, and God is filled with an overabundance of blessing. The book of Lamentations, right? This book that was written because these people were lamenting in deep pain and anguish, the promise is that even though life can be the worst that it can possibly be, you have physical ailments, relational ailments, you have financial problems, your life can feel like this is it, like I don't want to go on living. And the Bible says in the midst of such deep pain and suffering, the Bible says that God's gifts and mercies are new. How often? Every two weeks? No, how many? How often? Every single morning, God gives us new gifts and new mercies, new blessings but it's our mindset that needs to shift. So I want to look at a story from Scripture. If you have your Bible, I'm going to actually use my Bible because that's the one I prepared with. So if we look at Luke chapter 12, Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend. (laughs) Some Bible translations say, Man. Who sent me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Pause. Jesus had just been teaching about what it looks like for these followers of his to be faithful in the face of physical persecution. Like, People are trying to kill you. I want to show you what it looks like to be faithful when you feel like there's nothing worth living for. Like when your life is about to end, I want to show you what it looks like to be faithful in the face of the worst possible scenario in your life. Jesus was teaching about this. And then all of a sudden, a man stops and he says, Jesus, he calls him rabbi, teacher, I need your help 
Go and tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. And what we don't read in here, but what we can imply is that the person who was coming to Jesus was the younger brother. Because generally, it's the oldest or the eldest who gets the inheritance, and then the younger people, they either get a little, a little cut of it or a little less, and the younger brother comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, tell my brother to give me some of the inheritance. You see, he doesn't ask Jesus for help. He demands Jesus. This was the role of Moses in the Old Testament. If you were to look at Deuteronomy and Numbers, it was Moses who would come and settle some of these disputes when it came to inheritance. There was rules, there were laws that the Israelites and the Jewish um, faith had to live by in the first century. And this man, he wasn't happy with the amount that his brother had given him, so he says, tell him to give me more. But Jesus says, take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed For your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You know, we think oftentimes that our life does consist in the abundance of our possessions. At least every single advertisement that comes across my phone seems to try to convince me that my life needs all of these things. How many of you have ever um, Google searched something and then for the next week you get these ads on your social media or on your email or all? Have you guys ever noticed that? Yeah, I hate that. It's like, okay, fine, I'll get it. Like, gosh, stop bugging me. <laughs> no. But you see, like, we think, and here's what happens. This man was willing to ruin his relationship with his brother, with his blood brother, with his family over money. Because for him, he believed that if he just had enough, his life would be better, and then he wouldn't have to worry about anything, and he thought that he would find joy and happiness if he just had a little bit more. Because for him, he wanted more for himself. And to this, Jesus responds with this following parable. Then Jesus told him a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God. We've heard this before. A man has an abundance of a crop, and he decides to build a bigger barn so that he can store it up for himself. So let me ask you this question. I mean, in the first century, there was some level of irrigation, but for farmers in the first century, before technology was maybe as advanced as it is today, what is the source of growing your crops? Rain. So there's stuff that goes into it, like you have to till the ground, you have to work the ground, you have to do all those things. Like, yeah, you have to do all that. But ultimately, nothing you do to till the ground, to put the seeds, to do all that, nothing will be produced if there is no what? Rain. So even though this man thinks that he did all of this work to earn everything that he has now as a harvest, the reality is he could never have it if it wasn't for the good and perfect blessings that come from above. So now let me read this story to you in a slightly different way and see if you notice the difference. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do For I have no place to store my crops. 
Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You know how many times he referred to himself as I or me? Ten times in that passage. How many times did he refer to God? Yeah, because he, realized, because he thought that everything that he has came from the work of his own hands. And Jesus says, you fool, tonight your life will be demanded of you. And it wasn't that he was being killed off for being selfish. It was that he was already beginning to die within himself because he could only see what he wanted. You see, in the Old Testament, there were laws, or not laws, but kind of, yeah, laws, that said that if you till your ground, you leave the edges. You leave the edges for the widow, for the poor, for the immigrant. Yeah, you leave those for them so that those who don't have can actually have some of the blessing and abundance that you have. So they would leave them. They said if you forget a sheaf, if, like, if, if a bushel falls off of your wagon or whatever they used back then, I don't know, horse and care, I don't know what they used thousands of years ago. But if a, if a sheaf falls off and there's grain, just leave it there because someone who's in need is going to be able to come and use from the overabundance of your blessing. Because the reality and the idea was that it all belongs to God. It's all given to you by God as a blessing to serve others. You see, so often, and it's really hard for us in, in the Western world, and I say Western world like America, Europe, first world countries, because the Bible wasn't written to the most powerful. It was written to give hope to those who were most poor and marginalized. But that's true. And so it's hard for us because we read this and we'll say, oh, well, he's not really talking about wealth. He's just basically saying, like, when we, when we begin to rationalize what Jesus is saying, but like Jesus is saying what he's saying, that everything that you own is his. He is allowing you, he's giving this to you because he is trust. And this is only if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, this doesn't necessarily apply to you. But if you've accepted Jesus, then what this is saying is that you, God is tr- entrusting you with all that you have so that you can be a blessing to others. It is. And when you have given to others, when you give to, to your tithes and your offerings, right? When you give to people who are in need, what you're really saying is this thing that I thought gives me security, my finances, as I give this away to other people, what you're really doing is increasing your faith because you're becoming more and more dependent that God will provide for you. You see, when you give of your finances, that's like one of those trust walks. Like, you know those trust falls when you go, like, that's really what you're doing because you're saying, like, I could use this 13 or 14% of my finances, God, but I am trusting that, like, I'm going to give this to you. And the scriptures will tell us that if you sow sparingly, you will receive sparingly. But if you sow in an abundance, you're going to receive in an abundance. Now, giving of your money is not an investment policy, like, it's not an investment um, opportunity for you to say, well, God, I'm giving you this much, and I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to wait for you to give me more in abundance. That, that's the wrong way. That's still self-centered. But if you say, Father, God, I'm going to give this to you, and entrust this, and give this back to you, and I'm going to trust that my needs will be taken care of. Now, we're not, we don't have time to go into the rest of that chapter, but if you read it, it'll go on to say, like, don't worry about what you will eat, or what you will drink, or what you will wear, he says, because even the, and in Luke it says, even the ravens of the air 
like have everything that they need. And the ravens were an unclean animal. Like everyone would have been like, of all the animals, Jesus, could you have used a clean animal? But Jesus says, even the worst of you, he uses the raven, you will be provided all of your needs. And then he ends it with, so seek first the kingdom of God and everything you need will be given to you. Because if you seek the kingdom if you seek the presence of God, if you seek God, if you seek God, the Bible says, if you seek God, you will live. If you seek God before all else, it begins to shape your mindset and it shapes the way you see the world and then you can begin to live into the purpose that God has for you. You see, the purpose, for God, the purpose, of your, the purpose that God has in your life is to be a blessing and serve others. How it happens, I think, is open to interpretation like your career, where you live, all that kind of stuff. I think, I feel like I could show you from Scripture that God kind of gives us different options and based on our talents and our passions and our desires. Like, I truly believe that. But I think that the one thing that is true of all Christians is that your calling and your purpose in life is to give honor and glory to God, and you do so by serving and being a blessing to others. So when you give of your time, Right? When you serve in the church, when you serve outside the church, when you serve your family, when you give to those who are in need, what you put into your body, and of course, how much you give financially right, to the church, like all of that is a way of blessing and serving others. And we know that the one thing in our lives, like, like you live and you die in this country, by your FICA, is it FICA or FICO score? Yeah, your FICO, your credit score. <laughs> you do. And we have so much trust in that. I mean, like, people will be like, I'm never going to make a late payment. I'm never, I'm never going to borrow too much money. I'm going to make sure that my, my number is like 800 or as close to 800 as possible. Because, and we give our security to this number, which, again, it's good to be responsible but then sometimes we do so to the exclusion of saying, but God is calling us to live into a much bigger reality where life does not revolve around you. To be a disciple of Jesus is to say that life will not revolve around me, but it will revolve around others and I will serve and I will help and I will do everything I can and I will give financially and I will give of my time because I know that the whole earth is God's and he is inviting us to steward the little bit of life that we have on this earth to be a blessing to other people. So when you give, your faith increases because you're saying, I, I can live off of less. I don't have to get everything I want. I don't have to be the center of the world. I don't have to be the center of attention. I'm giving all of that away because I know that God has a plan and he is just asking me to be a part of this bigger plan that God has in this world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it's a super easy teaching to say that everything belongs to you. It's really easy for us to say amen to the parts that say that it is in you that we move and breathe and have our beings. And we even love the idea of giving financially. But I know that in the day-to-day, it sometimes can become difficult for us to live up to this expectation that you have on us, this request that you've put in our lives. And so I want to pray for every person who is here this morning, Father, who is, who is struggling with the idea that what they have isn't actually theirs but belongs to you. I just pray that you would show goodness and mercy 
and that you would show them in a very definitive way that, that even what they have and what they've earned has been given from you and that you will indeed provide for their needs. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.